I'd like to say good evening, greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here tonight. What a beautiful day we had, beautiful Lord's Day. Trust you were blessed this morning in worshiping where you were. Tonight we are gathered for a topic that has been assigned to me. It's called Basic Bible Study. I have uh, taught a class called Bible Study Skills at uh, Maranatha Bible School for the last 11 years or so, 11 times I've taught the class. Um, before that, there was another class called Understanding the Bible that I had taught a few times. The Bible is, is something that we are very familiar with. As Christians, we all have multiple copies of the Bible, I think probably in our in our homes, we bring it along to church with us. And my goal tonight would be simply to uh, make the Bible perhaps be more precious to us and maybe throw a few tips out there as far as, as uh, study uh, methods that can be helpful to us, introduce a few concepts about Bible study. So that's the title of of the topic tonight, it is basic Bible study. Share a quote. Born in the East and clothed in Oriental form and imagery, the Bible walks the ways of all the world with familiar feet and enters land after land to find its own everywhere. It has learned to speak in hundreds of languages to the heart of man. It comes into the palace to tell the monarch that he is a servant of the Most High and into the cottage to assure the peasant that he is a son of God. Children listen to its stories with wonder and delight, and wise men ponder them as parables of life. It has a word of peace for the time of peril, a word of comfort for the time of calamity, a word of light for the hour of darkness. Its oracles are repeated in the assemblies of the people, and its counsels whispered in the ear of the lonely, the wicked and the proud tremble at its warnings, but to the wounded and the penitent, it has a mother's voice. No man is poor or desolate who has this treasure for his own. When the landscape darkens and the trembling pilgrim comes to the valley named of the shadow, he is not afraid to enter. He takes the rod and staff of scripture in his hand. He says to his friend and comrade, goodbye, we shall meet again. And comforted by that support, he goes to the lonely pass as one who walks through darkness into light. The preciousness of Scripture. We look at Scripture differently than any other work of literature. We should. It is certainly different. Someone has said we can, you can put it on your, on your coffee table, but don't put it next to anything. I think that's a symbolic gesture. It is actually so totally superior to any other work of literature that we would have in our homes available to us. It is unique. It is unique, first of all, in its continuity. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span, written by more than 40 authors, written on three continents, written in three languages, written in a wide variety of literary styles addresses hundreds of controversial subjects. In all of this, it has a consistent 
message throughout without contradicting itself. It is unique in its circulation. Billions of Bibles have been sold more than any other piece of literature. It is the most widely circulated book ever all over the globe. It is unique in its translation. Most books have never been translated, but Bibles or portions of Bibles have been translated in over 2,200 languages. And if you can imagine this evening sitting here in Gladys, Virginia, there are in fact people around the globe reading the Bible in all different languages. It's a beautiful picture if you can think about it that way. In their own languages, people are taking in the Word of God. It is unique in its survival. The Bible has been severely, has been, the attempt has been made to severely uh, limit it, to stamp it out, to get rid of it. Bernhard Rahm says, A thousand times over the death knell of the Bible has sounded, the funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read. But somehow the corpse never stays put. No other book has been so chopped, knifed, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology or Bell's letters of classical or modern times has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible? with such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition, upon every chapter, line, and tenet, the Bible is still loved by millions and studied by millions. It is unique in its influence. If every Bible, this is Cleland McAfee, he says, if every Bible in any considerable city were destroyed, the book could be restored in all its essential parts from the quotations on the shelves of the city public library. Its persuasive influence on Western thought is a major role in the formation of Western culture. Western literature has been more influenced by the Bible than by any other book. Classical music has been hugely influenced by Christianity and themes from the Bible. More importantly, its power and influence in people's lives and its testimony in our heart. It's inerrancy. It's unique as to its inerrancy. The reason the Bible is inerrant is because of its author. The Bible, we believe, is without mistake in its original writing. It is that way because the, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. His word is absolutely true. In our study, this must be a key item of faith, that it is, in fact, inerrant. And finally, it is unique as to its source. It is God's Word. I'd like to introduce just a little bit of a concept tonight, and that is something that we are faced with in, this, in our generation, different from previous generations. Many people look at the Bible as a, uh, as a book with ink and pages. And I've heard so many things said about this book is the Bible. Well, it, in fact, has the Bible written in it, probably. But the Bible is God's message to us. It's not necessarily paper. And anymore, we, many of us don't use paper, a paper Bible. It is God's message to us, and it should be so precious to us that we have his message available to us. It wasn't always the case. And we treat it 
very, very reverently. We should. This I added just in the last day or so to the notes that I'm presenting tonight. It is the article of faith taken from the 18 articles of faith. Most of you were familiar with that. Many of you had that in your instruction class. Uh, we went through the 18 articles. I'd like to look at it briefly in, in introduction to our topic tonight. It says, Article 1 of the Word of God. It says, We believe in the plenary and verbal inspiration of the Bible as the Word of God, that it is authentic in its matter, authoritative in its counsels, inerrant in the original writings, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. I knew that. I had taught this class a number of times. I knew that, that statement pretty well, but I never really looked at it, at it as closely as I did in just the last couple of days. I was posting the articles in, on the uh, Sam's Pulpit website, and I, had, I read this first article. I'd like you to look at the last phrase of that. It says it is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. That's pretty, pretty, pretty stark. It is the only infallible rule of faith and of practice. And our practice as a Christian church must indeed be tied directly to Scripture. If it is anything else, it is fallible and it will not stand. It must be tied directly to the Word of God. I want to start tonight with the basics of interpretation. There are folks that will say that you should just read and obey. This study business, this interpreting business, that, that's just a smokescreen for getting around things. You should just read the Bible and obey it. And they have a point. There is a point to be made from that, that in fact the scriptures should be read and obeyed. Um, the biggest problem is obedience, not understanding. However, the Bible is unique, and we are unique, and there is some interpretation that we need to do to the Scriptures, and I'll try to enlarge on that. It doesn't just work to just look at the words and say, okay, that we'll follow those words, because some of those words are not clear to us, and the understanding sometimes is not clear. What does the word interpret mean? The meaning of the word interpretation. I think all of you have a fairly good grasp of that. You've been in a service maybe where there was an interpreter. Uh, some of you have spoken in a service. I spoke in a service down in Haiti, and we had an interpreter on the side standing and interpreting. I found that a very awkward setup. Some of you have. I, I don't like that. I don't know what he's saying in the end. I'm not sure. But, and I have to pause all the time. I don't like that either. But interpretation is basically just putting something in language so that we can understand. That's what interpreting means. It is to bring it into something that we can understand. Why is this necessary? For the Bible, so that we do interpretation. Well, there are a couple of, of reasons. Two main problems with just reading. Number one, it is the nature of the reader. 
We are unique in our understanding. We are unique in our experience. And secondly, it is the nature of the Scripture itself, the way it was written, when it was written, how it was written. These things necessitate interpretation. The reader is an interpreter. When you are reading the Bible, you have broken open your Bible in your morning devotional time, or you're following along as the minister is reading it or someone, and uh, you are seeing those words and you are grasping those words, but you are also interpreting them immediately as you are following those words. And we bring things to the text. As we read the Bible, we bring things to the text that can influence our understanding of that text. It's, it's inevitable. We can't not do it. But I, I need us to understand that we are, in fact, doing it as we read the Bible. We are bringing things along with us. First of all, our experiences. We bring along with ourselves our past experience. What experience have you had in the past? What sermons have you sat under? What exposure have you had? How were you brought up? This countless Sunday school classes that you sat in. You bring those experiences along as you listen or read the word. We bring along to it also our culture and the way that we are used to doing things, our environment. We bring along with it our prior understanding of words and ideas. It's, it's, we can't help but do that. We bring our religious background, the practices, the way we have practiced them. And we bring along our English language. All of these things that are there are influencing us as we read the scripture. We are not a blank slate. We are being influenced by the things that we have gone through, the, thing, the experiences that we've had. What we bring along can lead us astray. I've had it happen to me. I have been brought up so many, so, such a certain way and I come to the word and I, I interpret it wrongly because of my background. And some weird things can happen. People bring things along. They, they, they bring along their... their uh, things that can really lead them wrong, and it brings about some weird practices. The uh, Appalachian primitive church's practice of snake handling. You think about that for a minute. That is coming right out of the Bible. The baptizing for the dead that the Mormons would do, that's coming right out of the Bible. The health and wealth doctrine, coming right out of the Bible. The other things that people bring along with it, that their previous understanding. What I'm saying with all of this is, fellow Christians, we need to carefully interpret the scripture. We have to be very, very careful. The reason we need to be careful is because the Bible is critical. If you've picked up a novel and you interpret it incorrectly, I don't care. And it doesn't matter in most cases. But because the Bible is, is, is the most critical document that we can actually have, we need to be so careful in, in interpreting it. 
and having guidelines that we use to interpret. We must have rules to follow. The second issue is the nature of Scripture. We looked at the nature of the reader. The second one is the nature of Scripture. And this may be a little startling to you. The Bible is both human and divine. What do I mean by that? The Bible is both human and divine. First of all, it is divinely inspired. We believe that the, that the words that were written down were in fact inspired of the Holy Ghost, that the men that those 40 plus authors, as they were writing it, as they were sitting down and writing those things out, that they were in fact being led by the Holy Spirit. God breathed is the term that's used. So the Bible has, has eternal relevance to us. Unbelievers may look at it strictly as a historical document or some other type of literature, but we look at it as inspired. It also has a human side to it. It was given in human words in history. That's something we need to very much understand. It was given in human words in history. This really happened. This author, Ezekiel, when he sat down and wrote his oracles that he did, it was Ezekiel. And he was writing in, in the language of that day and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but in the language and in his particular setting. That gives it some historical particularity. And I don't want to overstress this point, but we need to understand the context in which the words were given. I am not a shady character. I like black and white. I am very much a black and white person. I wish, for instance, that there would have been a time when God would have come down to, I don't know where, Mount Rushmore maybe here, and had given someone a Bible in the English language. Wouldn't that be neat? It would be so neat in, from my perspective to have that Bible just given to us in plain English. Yeah, we'd have to interpret it to some degree, some of the words maybe, but we wouldn't have all those other things entering in. But God did not choose to do that. God chose to have people write it down in their language and in their time. We need to, he to hear the word as it was given. The human interface, God chose multiple ways of communicating his truth. And there's a word that you may not be familiar with, or you may, it's called a genre. The genres of scripture, Z-H is the pronunciation. The genre of scripture is a category of composition, artistic, and music or literature, characterized by similarities in form style or subject matter. And the genres of scripture that we have are as follows. We'll move through this very quickly. There is narrative. Anybody want to guess what percentage of the Bible is narrative, is stories? Throw me, throw me out a number. 80%. 80%. About 40%. Paul's about double. But it, it is the largest type of literature in the scripture, stories. Stories starting in the Garden of Eden, stories working its way all throughout the, th throughout the scripture. 
multi-level stories. They're local stories. They're the stories about the children of Israel, which would be the second level of literature. And then there is the top overriding story of the creation through the fall of man in the redemption story. This is the largest genre of scripture. And I would spend in a Bible study class at least one day just telling you how you should use the Bible stories because they are so misused in Bible interpretation and Bible study. They will use a story. A speaker will get up front and use a story as doctrine and teach doctrine directly from a story. And that is, that is not the way a story should be used. A story is illustrative in purpose. It shows us the nature of God. It shows the way he worked with people. But it is not directly teach scriptural imperatives. Let me give you an example of an extreme. I'm told that it's literally taught this way in, some of, in one of our conservative Mennonite churches. The preacher gets up front and he says, okay, preachers should witness to people, but the laity should not. That's what this church believed. Preachers should be witnesses, but not the membership. And the reason where he got his doctrine from, he said, well, it says in the scriptures that when they conquered Jericho, they marched around Jericho, and the only noise coming from was from the priests. Everybody else was quiet, and that is how you conquer. That is a gross misuse of scripture, and it's almost laughable. We, wouldn't, we would never do something like that. However, I have seen, and this is a danger in interpreting scripture, is to go to a scripture story and, and teach something that is not supported elsewhere in scripture. Yes, it can be used to illustrate something, but we should not get our doctrine exclusively from narrative. But narrative is great. We love narratives. Merle sat in our Sunday school class this morning and just basically told stories. And that's fascinating. Jesus told a lot of stories. They're, they're a beautiful part of scriptural literature. We need to be careful in how we use them. The second genre of scripture is uh, Old Testament law. Again, we could use, spend a day or two talking about the use of the Old Testament law. We won't tonight. There's poetry, there is prophetic oracles found mostly in the latter part of the Old Testament, very difficult parts of scripture. There are parables, which we looked at this morning in Sunday school class. There are letters, there is apocalyptic literature found in some of the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. We need to be careful when we see what type of literature we're looking at in the Bible as to how we interpret it. We need to use care in that. Okay, tonight we are going to learn the definition of a couple of words in basic Bible study. The first one is exegesis. And it's a very, very important concept in Bible study. Exegesis is the careful, systematic study of Scripture to discover the original intended meaning. Don't read things into the scripture that are not there. Your intent when you're studying, whether it's in your devotional time or whether you're preparing for a Sunday school class or whether you're going to be preaching or whether, whatever you're going to do is you are going to that Bible and you are trying to de determine as closely as possible what Paul was writing to the Corinthians. What was he trying to convey? What was his intent? 
don't be dishonest in the use of Scripture. Don't make it say what it's not saying. You're trying to find as closely as possible what Paul was writing about or what James was writing about or what Ezekiel was writing. And exegesis is the careful, systematic study of Scripture to discover the original intended meaning. My classes, I have them memorize that and I test them on it. The intent that the author had for his communication with his readers. Exegesis must always be done, not only when there is an apparent discrepancy or a difficulty, but because of the important nature of Scripture. It's not a novel. It's not a, a light. It is, a, it is God's word, and he cared enough to give us his word, and so we need to be very careful. It's a little bit like somebody described it when you were dating and you got a love letter from your, from your friend. And did you just read that carefully, just kind of skim over it, maybe just before you went to bed at night and you just kind of fell asleep and it fell right on your face? No, you didn't. You read that thing and you tried to read it again and you tried to read in the line, between the lines and you tried to determine what was she trying to say. And maybe you read a few things in there that weren't intended also. But the point is, when we're going to Scripture, we got to understand that these are real men, and men in this case, that sat down and they had a message to convey to their readers. And what our job is in the interpretation of Scripture is to go there and to try to determine what in fact they were saying to their listeners or their readers. It must always be done. It must be done thoroughly and carefully to prevent reading our own ideas into the text. And one of the things I, I like to stress in this Bible study thing is honesty. I had to catch myself. I spend a lot of time in the Word because I prepare sermons. And I prepare Bible study classes and whatever. I have come across a case where I have been developing a topic... And I go there and I find a scripture that, boy, this is beautiful. <laughs> this supports exactly what I'm trying to say. My, it sounds good. And then, because I am trying to be honest and faithful to the scripture, I read it more. I look up a word or two that I don't understand and I realize it's not. It's not saying what I think it's saying. It's not saying what it looks like it's saying on the surface. What do I do then? What do you do then? What you do is you don't, you don't misuse it. You don't misuse it. You don't, you don't do violence or dishonesty to the scriptures. Exegesis, very, very important. We use helps to do it. We use the, the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit's guidance on our study. Learning to do exegesis couple of steps there. Read the text carefully. We don't read it lightly. We read it carefully. We reread re it a number of times sometimes. We learn to ask the right questions of the text. Always ask questions. This is one thing I've learned over the years. When you're doing a study of Scripture, always ask questions. Why? How? What? What's the purpose of this? What is he trying to say? Why is he trying to say this? Why here? Why now? 
Ask, ask, ask the questions. Learn to write the, to ask the right questions of the text. And uh, you're not going to remember this tonight, but in your devotional readings of the Bible, there are things that you could uh, ask the text. And you're not going to remember this. You can ask as you're reading along, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer that I should be praying? Is there an error to avoid? Is there truth to believe here? Is there something to praise God for? Always ask questions as you are, as you're studying scripture. Always ask questions. Don't just glaze over it. Always ask the hard questions. Ask the, the pertinent questions. And you will be amazed what you can find in that scripture. The importance of context. This is one of my pet subjects, is context of scripture. And this is probably not original with me, although I think I have modified it a bit. And the quote from Sam Troyer is, never yank a text kicking and screaming out of context. Never do it. That's wrong. Don't, that is where um, these cults come from. There isn't a cult out there who can't find an isolated verse or a part of a verse to support their bad doctrine. Because they use scripture out of context. They're just going in there and they're grabbing it and, and it's screaming and kicking and, and running and they're doing violence to the scripture and they're yanking it out and making it say something that is so, so wrong. Context, context, context. Read before, read after. Find out what the, what the intent is. It is so important. There are a couple of kinds of context. The first one is historical context. You Sunday school teachers, when you're starting a book of the Bible or maybe a certain series of chapters, historical context is very useful. The time frame in which it was written, you want to find that out. The culture in which it was written, the geographical setting, political setting, occasion for the writing. This can be overdone in a Sunday school class. It is there, you, should, you do want to get the historical context and it's helpful. You don't want to just spend a lot of time with this, but it can be helpful. Maybe the last point there, the reason for its writing, the occasion for the writing, that can be very useful. But that's a historical context. The other type of context is the literary context. It is looking around to gain perspective. You want to look backward, you want to look forward, you want to trace the author's train of thought. Why is the author saying this at this point? Maybe it may involve reading an entire epistle in one setting. I encourage that very much. If you're teaching a Sunday school class or you're doing a study of a book, is sit down and read the whole book of Ephesians at one setting and read it a few times. It's a letter. It was written in a, in a setting of a letter, and it was designed to be read at, this, at once. 
and get the whole flavor, get the context for why the, how the author is writing this. Try to get the, the author's train of thought. Learning to recognize units of thought. Um, one unfortunate thing about our, the way our Bibles are organized is the chapters and verses. The way they are, they're very handy, and the purpose for them is to look things up and to find places, right? And they were added not originally, but much, much later, some as late recently as the 15th century. After Christ, the verses were put in there. And the, the problem with them is in that they're very handy, but they also break right into the middle of paragraph. Have you noticed that? Even chapters, you need to be very careful when you're studying Scripture. Do not just pick up and say, well, chapter 11 is exactly where the train of thought begins. Not necessarily. You need to back up into the previous chapter and make sure there isn't something else. Um, some of the tr newer translations will, will organize it in paragraphs, and, and actually that's better because those are units of thought. And again, the arrangement of paragraphs and verses, these are, these are subject to, to fallibleness because humans are doing it, and much later than the original writing. But context is, is very, very important. Please, when you're studying for next Sunday, the Sunday school lesson next Sunday, make sure you're getting the context of what is being given. Um, make sure you recognize the type of literature, a parable. And they're getting tired of me over at the Sunday school class at Paris Chapel because they're starting, we're interpreting parables right now and Sam keeps jumping up and down on his little soapbox. You're reading too much into this parable. It's meant to make a point. A parable is meant to make a point. It's not meant to be interpreted atomistically. Okay. This brief introduction. Some study helps. Um, first, a good Bible. You all need to use a Bible to your studying. It's good to use a certain version of the Bible for your study text. Be very, get very familiar with it. Some people like to mark it up a lot. That's your, that's your prerogative if you find it helpful to mark a lot in your Bible. But use a Bible. And I could spend all evening and maybe sometime I'll have the opportunity. I would love to do that. Talking about Bible translations tonight It's not the night. But I, I would encourage you to... Pick a translation that is very faithful to the original text. There is a tendency right now for people to opt for readability over accuracy. And I, I discourage that. It's okay, but you've got to be very careful. You've got to be very careful with some of the newer translations because the more readable, the more free they are, the more... The, person, the translator's ideas have gotten in there. It's inevitable. Not that there was ever any evil intent on the part of the translator, but the translator in rearranging the words and, and putting them in is a, is a good possibility that some of their uh, religion and their background and, and their teaching in their church and their understandings make their way into the scripture. And, and more recently, the, the gender-neutral thing and the politically correct thing is finding its way into some of the translations. And I, I, I encourage you, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what kind of translation you need to use, but use a very...
conservative translation. Uh, one that is readable, but that, that is very literal. I would encourage that because it, it, uh, as your primary Bible, you can compare it with others. I don't, I, that's not wrong. But uh, be, be, be very careful in the choice of, of Bible that you use. Bible helps that you use for uh, study. Uh, some invaluable helps. Um, one would be a concordance. And we don't obviously have tonight time to go through and make sure you understand how a concordance is used. But a Strong's concordance is kind of the... Uh, it's kind of the benchmark concordance out there, exhaustive concordance. Um, has in it the, the words in your translation, maybe in this case we're using the example of begotten, where it's located, a brief quote from the scripture. And over to the right is a very important feature, and it gives you the original word in Greek or Hebrew usually, and where you can look it up and find the meaning in the original. When you do your studies, if there's any question as to what a word means, you should do word studies. You should go back and study and find out what those words actually mean. Make sure that you understand. That is very helpful in the faithful interpretation of Scripture. Bible dictionaries are helpful. Nelson's Bible dictionary would be a good example of that. Uh, Nave's topical Bible, for those of you who are studying for a topic, that would be a good help for you. Uh, Halley's Bible Handbook for General Background Studies. That's a, uh, a good one. Uh, Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary. As you get into more in-depth study of words, uh, Vine's is a good source. I find that it is a really more, better, more in-depth source than Strong's would be. Commentary. I think you probably know the precautions with commentaries. Um, be very careful with commentaries. Why? Someone tell me why should we be careful with commentaries? They're not inspired. They are not part of the original inspired. They are someone's ideas, a scholar's ideas about it, about the scripture. And and you say, well, that's. Maybe or maybe not. Yes? Uh, Randy had a really good quote of that. He said commentators are commentators just like us. Okay, commentators. Yeah. Yeah, they're just commentators. They, the, the problem is with some of the doctrinal things that, that enter in there. And for us, in the midst of writers who are uh, by and large Calvinistic in their background, and other types of uh, theological bents that are there, we have to be very, very careful. I've taken a commentary literally and round filed that thing in my trash can after starting to use it. It was just so strong in false doctrine. And so we need to be very careful. And if you have any questions, I would be happy to recommend some commentaries to you at some point. Uh, Matthew Henry's is, uh, has some, some questionable things, but it's so long ago that many of the modern uh, things didn't make it in there. So a lot of people use Matthew Henry's. Uh, the second part of bi basic Bible study, the first was exegesis, the careful systematic study to discover the original intended meaning. 
Hermeneutics is more controversial. Herman who? Hermeneutics is defined as the following, seeking the contemporary relevance of the ancient texts. How does the Bible apply to us today? Does it apply to us? Can, should I just read it and follow it verbatim? Does, it, does what happened to the church in Acts apply directly to the church at Gladys? Can I take things literally and use them today? That, that is a huge subject, and I can't do justice to it tonight. But we must understand that it is part of our uh, study of Scripture is that we do hermeneutics, and most of it is common sense. That sounds startling to you about Bible study. Most of it is common sense. But some of it is not. And one of the problems with our Protestant contemporaries today is the relegation of practice to another time period. Basically saying that this was part of their culture and so on and doesn't apply to us today. We have to be very careful in doing that. We have to be very careful. Most of the principles in the scriptures are in fact timeless. There are some cultural things. There's no doubt about it. But it's very, very careful in, in relegating things to, to culture that we should in fact be using today. It must always begin with solid exegesis. We always need to do solid exegesis. Never go directly to hermeneutics. Make sure you understand what the word was then before you try to say what it is today. Uh, has, you have to start there. A text cannot mean now what it never meant originally. This is a trap that we can get into if we're not careful with doing proper hermeneutics is to try to make a text say something today that it never meant. That's, that's, that's not right. You don't do that. You need to be careful. What was trying to be, what was the Holy Spirit asking Paul to write to Timothy? Um, don't, don't invent things for that writing. And then the final thing with to do with hermeneutics is the careful application of principles. Again, we could spend probably a whole, whole evening or more. How can we carefully apply principles today to the scriptural text? Can we do it? I'm a firm believer that we can. We can, in fact, apply principles of non-resistance to our modern day. We can apply principles of modesty and, and, and living and so on that were taught into today's culture. Yes, we can. There must be a direct link to the principle. There must be a direct link. And the application of principles must be done very, very carefully. We want to wrap up tonight with application. You can't really get to know the Word of God unless you apply it to your life. 
It has to do with your attitude as you study the scripture, doesn't it? If you are going into this Bible with the attitude that this is nice to know stuff or because I need to be doing this in my devotional life, this is something that's expected of me or I have to teach Sunday school or whatever the reasoning may be. But you go into the scripture with the idea that this is God's word and as the truth is revealed to you and to me, I must act on it. I must act on it in obedience. And that is the crux of Bible study, isn't it? When I take the Bible study, all the most learned people in Bible study, if there is not a willingness to apply that to my own personal experience, it's not only a waste of time, but it is actually dangerous. We inoculate ourselves with some truths and we become calloused to them if we don't obey them as we learn the truths. And we become more responsible as the word of God, as, as we're exposed to the word of God, we become more responsible to, for that word. Studying the word of God can be dangerous if you merely study it without applying it. And that's what I was alluding to. Application is hard work. Applying it to our lives. It requires prayer. Brother Leon shared in the recent past uh, a uh, sermon on devotional life. And the word, the word must be a, a huge part of that devotional experience. It begins with prayer. Asking the Holy Spirit to open the word to us. It's meditation, spending time with the word, and then applying it to our own experience. That is, that is where Bible study comes in. And Bible study is so critical to our growth as Christians. The Bible intense, practical, obedient, um, focused Bible study. I can't encourage you enough to do it. I can't encourage you enough to make the Bible, a, 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 make yourself a Bible person, a person of the word, a person of Bible study, a person who is devoted to the study of the word. God bless you and we'll turn the time back over to our moderator.